Hi, welcome back to Nobody Likes You. This episode is when you listen to your ego. Thank you all so much for your support, especially with everyone who tuned in for my last episode about porn. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. I got a lot of good feedback and I'm grateful for everyone that listened. Today's episode is based off of a chapter called Ego Stories in the book How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicole LaPera, also known as the Holistic Psychologist. I'm pretty much forwarding the whole chapter with my two cents in there. I'll probably make more episodes on this book, but I also recommend reading it for anyone that wants to do the self-work but has no clue where to start. So if you've taken any child development or most psych classes, you're probably familiar with uh, Piaget's stages of child development. There's no reason to get into all of them, but from ages two to seven, you go through a phase called pre-operational thinking. This is when children begin to use mental abstractions. For example, engaging in pretend play and talking about events that happened in the past or people who are not currently in the room. But this is also when they start to develop a sense of self, but have yet to be able to understand that someone may feel differently than them or are able to take someone else's point of view. Um, This is called egocentrism when everything is about yourself. But it's also that everything that happens to you is assumed that it happens because of you. As you can imagine, a child's ego is shaped dramatically during this time by their families, friends, immediate community, and greater environment. Since anything that happens during this phase of development is processed as their fault. Throughout our lives, we create a story about who we are based on our experiences. The ego works to keep us living within familiar narratives because, though often painful, they are predictable. Predictability often feels safer than taking a chance on the unknown. The ego's main goal is to protect the identity that we created of ourselves. This is why the ego interprets any disagreement or criticism as a direct threat to our very existence. When someone questions us, we take it as our core self being threatened. When our ego gets activated, which is pretty often for most people, even if you don't realize it, because the ego is in a near constant defensive stance and it can manifest in a few different ways. One of them is an all hands on deck or strong emotional reactivity approach, um, generally acting out of a protective wound. Another is false confidence which is more often than not a bravado that emerges from feelings of insecurity due to lack of connection to the authentic self. 
Um, it could also be lack of nuance in thinking. Everything is right or wrong. There's no gray areas. It's just black and white. Um, another is uh, extreme competition, which is a belief that other people's success undermines or conflicts with your own. When you get in a disagreement that threatens your ego, this is why the goal is rarely to get to a shared truth, but instead to invalidate each other's realities, to destroy the other person's opinion, to establish your worth and power. This is why everyone's arguing all the time and it gets so ugly because if what you believe is who you are, there's no space for conversation or contemplation. Because our ego's main job is to protect our perception of who we are, it represses emotions that we view as bad or wrong. It also wants to acknowledge the good parts of ourselves in order to receive as much love as possible and boost itself. These repressed imperfect parts of ourselves are often referred to as the shadow self. This is often encouraged in a child's child's development by adults when telling children that some things should be hidden and others should be praised. But when we repress any part of our authentic self in order to receive love and the act the act of repression becomes an ego story we become who we believe we should be the more we repress our shadow self the more shame and disconnect we feel also the more likely we are to project this shame and judgment onto others because the criticism we project onto others is most often the criticism we have about ourselves. Ego stories are created within us because uncertainty is frightening. When someone acts in a way that hurts us, our ego goes into hyperdrive try to, to try to figure out why and keep us safe by insisting that we would never do something so horrible. This is why judging others is so addictive. It relieves us from the ego's internal struggle with shame. When we identify the faults of others, we can ignore our own and even convince ourselves that we are superior. And none of this is necessarily wrong or bad. It's just, it's part of being human, but it's something to be aware of. And when you are living unconsciously and identify completely with your egoic concept of yourself, you live in your ego stories. You have automatic responses based on protecting your ego. This state of consciousness, called the ego consciousness, leaves us powerless to make our own choices. An example of one of my ego stories that I am now aware of is when I'm seeing someone romantically and specifically if I'm very emotionally invested and attached to them and they cancel plans last minute 
this has caused me, I mean, I also, it's just a trauma response, but this has caused me to have hour-long panic attacks. And although it's not a big deal, it triggers an abandonment wound from my childhood that has continued to be confirmed within myself through my adulthood. I recognize the feeling from my childhood and it pulls me into a familiar trauma reaction. Thoughts automatically circulate that I'm unloved, unwanted, and unworthy of someone's time and attention. This very often makes me push someone away or get the urge to run in order to protect my ego and not face this painful wound. Sometimes it makes me cling to them harder, desperately trying to get them to prove these painful thoughts wrong. I rarely act out aggressively towards someone because I'm aware of this wound now, although sometimes I cannot control my intense emotional reaction. I'm able to self-soothe while I communicate what I'm feeling to them and explain myself without placing blame or just communicate in a way that's like, hey, I hate when some when people cancel plans last minute. Like, don't do that to me, pretty much. You know, um, but say say I wasn't aware of this wound. Although my activated ego reacts just by having that all hands on deck approach, as I mentioned earlier. What if I manifested it in one of the other ways, like false confidence, where I would say, "Hey, fuck them." They're unworthy, they're trash, and I hate them, and I'm way better than them anyways. But really, it's coming from a deeply insecure place that because I felt unworthy and unloved when I felt like they were abandoning me. Or what if I, what if it manifested in a lack of nuanced thinking, where I thought, this person is completely evil that they made me feel abandoned. It can't be because they themselves are an unhealed person that is in pain and incapable of having the closeness that I desire from them. They're just an evil person. You know, black and white, that's it. Or what if it manifested in extreme competition? Maybe there was another girl in in the picture that I felt threatened by during my relationship with this man. That abandoned me and I'm not really just talking about canceled plans but just a sense of sense of abandonment at this point and now that he made me feel unworthy I feel the need now to win over this other girl in every way maybe by getting attention from other men she may be into I just now have this intense feeling of competition with her and a need to prove that I'm better than her, and therefore I am worthy of being loved. Obviously, none of these are healthy reactions to the ego being threatened, and most of them were hypothetical. I hope you picked up on that. So (laughs) how do you do the ego work? The goal of ego work is to become aware and conscious instead of deferring to your ego's reaction of our world. 
the first step is to allow your ego to introduce itself. Witness it without judgment. The goal here is to see your ego as separate from you and practice being a neutral witness. Allow yourself to witness it in quiet isolation. The ego doesn't like to be witnessed, so engaging with it on the initial observation level can be very uncomfortable. Second, have a friendly encounter with your ego. Start paying attention to what you say after you use the phrase, I am. You'll start to notice the negative thought patterns and become more aware of them. Notice how you speak about yourself. How many emotions or internal conversations do you avoid? You've been repeating these narratives for so long that you may not even notice them. Realize their repetitiveness and question their truths. This is where you have the chance also to create a new narrative and repeat it when you see these patterns come up. Repetition will prime new pathways in the brain and allow witnessing to come more easily with time. Third, this may sound silly, but um, Dr. LaPera said it's a very helpful tool, but naming your ego is a powerful act of separation. Having a separate name that you call your ego and um, kind of deciding if you're going to let her or him or them speak, you know, and deciding if they, if you want your separate ego to have a place in whatever you're dealing with. Um, once we can view it and name it, we can disentangle our intuitive self from the ego reaction, or at least get closer to this. Lastly, we get to meet our activated ego. Thoughts happen to us, and they don't mean anything about who we are. They're simply our ego attempting to defend our identity and protect us from pain. This is where we can start witnessing our ego amidst argument when it's most activated. This is where you can start analyzing what triggers your ego into defense mode and maybe what it's protecting. This is where you learn the most about yourself. As we navigate the ego in a more empowered way, we can actually have difficult conversations without feeling under threat when we're questioned. The more we practice this awareness, the more our ego softens the greater our confidence grows and the more the ego can settle and integrate. Of course, these stages are not linear. You'll bounce around, forward and back. Be patient. Your ego is always there. Self-witnessing is not enough on its own. You need to be honest about what you're observing. Um, it can be difficult to separate yourself from your ego to witness it and then integrate it back with awareness. Integrating your shadow self, though, is coming face-to-face with self-truth. I hate to say it, but I don't think an ego death is actually possible. 
I know a lot of us have done enough mushrooms to face the ego in that way, but I don't think our ego is ever dead or gone. The actual goal of ego work is to cultivate empowered consciousness and an understanding and acceptance of your ego. Your ego will always be with you. Even when you feel like you have mastered it, it will very often show up and surprise you when you least expect it. If you're on self-help TikTok, I'm sure you've seen shadow work journal prompts and things like that. I encourage you to actually do them now that you know the importance of facing this side of yourself. Here's some questions that um, Dr. LaPera's book gave me and my answers as examples. So first, when you have feelings of jealousy, ask yourself, what do I feel the other person has that I feel I am lacking? For me, The times I feel most jealous are when someone has the body that I want or over a man. This shows me deep-rooted insecurity in my body image. This also shows me how important male validation is to my identity and continues to show me the wounds that men have left. How often do you give others advice and why do you give it? This one made me laugh because I literally have a self-help podcast giving people (laughs) advice. So yes, I give advice pretty often, but working in mental health, I think I've learned the difference of when in actual conversations to give advice or to just be a listening ear. I hope that I've learned when to shut the fuck up and not tell people what to do because I don't think that my advice is always perfect. And I think that if people wanted my opinion that they will ask. But I mean, this podcast is just me forwarding all the hard work I've put into learning things for myself and making it more accessible for people to learn. And lastly, how do you speak about yourself to others? This will help you understand your self-narratives and limiting beliefs. I think I speak about myself generally positively. I think I'm kind and smart and creative, but I also often say that I'm quiet or awkward or uncomfortable and maybe have trouble making connections sometimes. Um, I also know some people have witnessed this from me and some people would have trouble believing that I'm ever quiet. There's no real rhyme or reason to it either. It kind of just depends on how I'm feeling that day and my comfort level of who I'm with. But I do think that this is a negative self-narrative and can be very limiting. I think it's rooted from my childhood because I was homeschooled and very sheltered. And so I had trouble relating to my peers and making friendships. And that's really how I viewed myself for most of my life. Sometimes it's hard to remember that that isn't who I am anymore and I am confident and social. It's definitely a self-narrative that I would like to change. So I'm going to wrap this episode up here. It's a bit shorter than a lot of my others, um, but I think I got the main points I was trying to make, make across. Um, So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow 
my account on Spotify, leave a star rating, and maybe write a little review in the Q&A of what you thought of this episode. Thank you so much. Have a good week.